Hello and happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to the Ever Better Life podcast. Hope you had a good week. Uh, How did it go with the determination to stay focused and respond resourcefully regardless of what your partner was up to? We'd love to know if you got any practice with it. But today, um, I read a quote that sort of sparked the ideas for this topic, which is unintentional duplicity. (laughs) And so this is an interesting communication pattern that we've run into in our relationship that is totally destructive. And it was a lot of my uh, unconscious strategies while fighting um, or things that led to fights, things that kind of inevitably like started up some type of disagreement or uh, disharmony. And so the quote is this, The great enemy of clear language is insincerity. And this is when there is a gap between one's real and one's declared aims. This is from a George Orwell quote. And so that for me was like, oh my goodness, this is so much of what we deal with. (laughs) It's communication, it's language. It's when basically I am saying one thing, but I'm not revealing the whole truth. (laughs) There's like an ulterior something going on behind the scenes that is... Uh, directing the words that I'm saying, but it's not fully clear. It's duplicitous, or you might call it insincere. It's not the whole truth. And this is one of these kind of games that couples will play, families will play, where no one's really clear about something, and they, but you kind of know that they have an agenda. And so if you're not aware of it, you're just not aware of it. And it kind of, you know, and and depending on the partner that you have, this can cause a lot of problems or, you know, if it's somewhat compatible with your partner and their issues, maybe it's not such a big deal. But for us, it was a big deal because Steve is very, you know, he's literal. He listens to the words that I'm saying and he can sense if there is a disconnect or something not fully clear. And so for me, this unintentional part was like, I wasn't aware even that I was being unclear. I wasn't aware that I was being duplicitous. And then if he tried to point out uh, some un, you know, uncertain, unclear communication, I'd say, I'm not doing that. What are you talking about? And um, I would have this kind of genuine feeling that I'm being above board and no, it's just this simple what, what I'm saying. No, it's just what I'm saying. And so we kind of want to talk about this pattern and, you know, what it's caused for us, but then also how we've been able to deconstruct it. It's funny, as you, as you were reading that quote just now, you know, because you told me about it before we did this, but um, I, I, it's interesting that, that Orwell says the great enemy of clear language is insincerity. You know, something about that quote that kind of presupposes that the the objective or the goal is clear language. Now, maybe that's to be expected from someone who is a writer. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, for me, it's interesting. I, I, you can put it the other way. And you can say that the great enemy of sincerity is unclear language. Or you could at least say that one of the great agents of uh, insincerity, one of the great mechanisms of it, is the use of the sort of unacknowledged, uncalled out, um, unconscious use of unclear language. And I think that, I mean, what's interesting to me is is when people, the, the extent to which people just don't really listen to each other is interesting to me. Um, and I think also the extent to which people don't listen to themselves and what they're saying. And there's a couple of things that we're going to kind of cover here, like that kind of duplicitousness, the kind of the non sequitur, the kind of, you know, the, the shifting goalpost. I mean, there's... 
you know, there's some logical fallacy stuff. There's all sorts of kind of little tricks that people kind of pull out. And and, and the thing is, a lot a lot of where this comes from, as far as I can tell, is that a lot of of what we're doing in our mind, doing with our mind, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to say it, is going on unconsciously. A lot of my thoughts are occurring unconsciously. A lot of my agendas, a lot of my objectives, a lot of the assumptions that are kind of guiding uh, what I'm saying, the manner in which I'm saying it, how I respond to things being said to me, a lot of the things that are influencing what I'm doing at a given moment in time are very likely outside of my awareness. You know, And so just kind of as a quick example of that, if when I was growing up, blame was a really big deal in my household, like the thing that you, it was okay to be wrong. What you didn't want to do though is you didn't want to be the one that the collective concluded was wrong. So like if I actually made a mistake, the the kind of reinforcement or the reward structure of the social group, you know, the unit that's my family, the reward structure was not let me rush to realize and acknowledge the mistake so that we can move on in a harmonious and sincere direction. The, the, the incentive structure, and you, I mean, this isn't just positive incentive. This is like avoid negative things, right? This is that kind of, you know, uh, not just if I can lie my way out of this, I'll get a reward. You know, maybe it's if I can kind of muddy the waters enough to escape, like one of these fish, you know, that like if it feels like it's going to get caught, stirs up the water, creates a dust storm, and gets the hell out of there. A lot of people, they do communication like this. And, you know, if you grow up in a household where the whole thing is, Either the, the the thing you want to do is, is kind of levy blame, and the thing you want to avoid is it's kind of like blame is the hot potato. You're constantly avoiding it. You have to understand that your neurology is very good at adapting to the environment in which it operates, right? And if you have kind of installed in you kind of basic presuppositions, right, about the nature of interpersonal interactions, the nature of conversations. At some very deep level, everyone believes that conversations are basically situations in which you may get saddled with blame and or situations in which you have the opportunity to avoid blame. And if that's how you're thinking, if that's one of those things kind of rattling around in the background of your mind, um, and, and, and it's such a deep presupposition that you don't even know it's there, right? Because you, because at one, it's kind of like deep in there. And two, you're someone who hasn't spent a lot of time paying attention to the things that are motivating them, motivating you in a given moment in time, like in a heated conversation with your significant other. What's going to happen is that desire to, well, that assumption about the nature of conversation, about how blame and avoiding blame or avoiding blame by setting up a situation where the other person gets the blame, they get caught with the hot potato. Because, you know, when you're playing that game, hot potato, like musical chairs, if somebody else gets caught without a chair, the chances are better that you'll be in the chair. You know what I'm saying? If somebody else is caught, only one person gets caught with the hot potato. And so I might not want you to get the hot potato, but I damn sure don't want to be stuck with it myself. I don't know, is it music that stops or is it a song? I don't know, you know, basically you pass this thing around and then the teacher or whoever shuts the music off or, or says stop or hot potato and the person holding it's out and then the game continues on and on and on. You know, so I don't, if you ever feel like your partner's blaming you a lot um, or if you find yourself blaming your partner, it may not necessarily be that you just are um, a sadist, you know, that just wants to blame the other person. It may be that in your mind, 
there's this kind of false dichotomy where somebody's going to get blamed. Because if you grew up in a house where somebody was going to get blamed, somebody's going to hell, somebody's going to get the death penalty, someone's going to get put in the penalty box, someone's going to get get it, someone's going to be, you know, someone is going to be responsible for and have to feel bad about and perhaps be punished for whatever it was that went wrong. And things always go wrong, of course. Um, you may be just trying to avoid that. Now, if you're, if you're, brain, if your neurology, if your psychology has been built around this core of blame is a thing that happens and it's really scary and we have to avoid it, you have to understand that your brain will do a very good job of con of making it so that you can be incredibly dishonest and incredibly disingenuous and incredibly irrational and incredibly uh, duplicitous and, and you won't ever know that you're doing it because your your brain understands that you're basically a decent person. It understands that you're also that you've got you're kind of balancing two projects here. One, there's blame or the prospect of blame that's really scary. There's punishments. I have to avoid that with all cost at all costs. Your brain says, okay, based on experiences that you had growing up, that's one thing we got to do. But then it also has other things like so for example, if you value making sense or you value being fair or you value being rational or whatever, it's got that too and it gets both those plates spinning and so so what it will do is create inside you blind spots and also hot spots of focus. It will create inside you feelings that you know about and feelings that you don't. It will create inside of you arguments and a capacity to not hear certain things that you're saying or not hear certain things that your partner is saying that will make it possible for you to both avoid blame while experiencing yourself as being totally reasonable, totally rational, just, hey, I'm just telling you like it is, I didn't say that, I, you didn't say that, so on and so forth. And so it's important, I think, if you're dealing with a part, you know, if your partner's doing this stuff, if you're doing this stuff, if there's some some bit of it kind of coming from both of you, to, to have that just enough compassion to be curious, or maybe just enough curiosity to be compassionate, right? To understand that very often, extremely sinister patterns of behavior or extremely destructive patterns of behavior or extremely off-putting patterns of behavior. Things for which at the surface level there seemed to be no exculpatory explanation. I don't know why she would be doing this or he would be doing this or how anyone could be doing this unless and then you insert character flaw or fundamental defect, uh, you know, in, in the in the blank. There are very often explanations that explain this stuff very clearly, and it, it's it's a matrix matrix and it's a network, and it's usually something to do with kind of like conflicting priorities. You know what I'm saying? Some people, they they everybody makes mistakes. Some people, psychologically, it is inviolable for them to realize that they have made a mistake, right? Because if they realize they've made a mistake their moral code or their ethics or their values won't allow them to consciously deceive you and pretend like they don't know they've made the mistake. And so their brain will literally protect them from that realization so that it can pursue its kind of survival imperative, right? If it's a, if I have to keep myself safe by avoiding blame, but I also have to adhere to certain rules of rationality and of fairness, well, then what my brain will say is it's no problem. We'll just draw a curtain around the, the area of awareness that would cause you to realize that, in fact, you did say that thing that you didn't mean to say or whatever so that you don't even know it's there so that you can, with a sensation of complete conviction and total honesty, talk about a version of reality that doesn't exist or ignore a version of reality that does exist so that you can advocate for your safety. And I think just realizing the extent to which we are motivated and driven and influenced by unconscious considerations... Uh, is very useful because even if you don't know what those things are, if things are going wrong in a conversation or breaking down in an argument or in a relationship overall, like the overall you know, series of communications, 
if things are going wrong and you're convinced you're not doing anything wrong or you're in no way negatively contributing to it, if you know that a lot of the things that you're doing are probably unconscious, and a lot of the things that are motivating the things that you're doing are probably unconscious, that provides the possibility of an explanation that doesn't require you saddling your partner with 100% responsibility for the fact that things are going wrong. That may sound like a scary thing or may sound like picking up a mantle of responsibility. It's actually a wonderful asset for you though. To 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 like cuz I I've been there in the past before where like my experience is that you're 100% responsible for things that are going wrong in this thing. And there's nothing I could do differently. And I remember what it felt like, and it didn't feel good. It felt frustrating, and it felt... But when I began to realize, oh, it's possible for me to be doing things at perhaps another level that are totally... I mean, like, we're on floor 14, and it's true I'm doing nothing wrong at floor 14, and you're doing everything wrong at floor... But if we go up to floor 17, boy, I'm doing seven things wrong, and you're not doing anything at all. And it's kind of like, well, I need that ability to... to be aware of the fact that there are things that I'm probably doing that I'm not aware of. That awareness opens the door for specific awareness about what the things are that I may be doing that aren't really serving me. That then opens up the door to the possibility of doing things differently. This is a very interesting thing to look at and it's very, it's hard to look at. When you are caught up in it, when you are, you've been so taken in by your own con and you're really believing your own bullshit so much that you are offended and you're hurt and you feel like they're gaslighting you and you're like, no, this is really how I'm, and, and they're trying, you know, like th when this is going on, it's so hard to see it. It's so hard to see it because you get committed to your position because you don't want to be blamed you, and you don't want to be caught like, you know, going saying the wrong thing and so you have to stick with it you have to keep you know reiterating and reiterating and I swear sometimes I would just you know confabulate all sorts of evidence and and this is that kind of switching goalpost things it's like okay I've got to stay on this story but if I like do this parallel jump over to like this other issue then we can talk about that and he'll forget I even did this because you know I, I, he's getting really close to pinning the tail on the donkey and the donkey's like oh, I gotta get out of here and so um, and then, you know, when he says that, it's like, am I ready yet? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to like look at this from a different vantage point, a different perspective? Um, or are you going to keep dodging the bullets? And like literally, you guys, we've had fights, these discussions that have gone on hours and hours and hours. Like three, like three to five times. Like, right? yeah, like really, really a long time um, because I, I am able to deceive myself and I'm able to, you know, really stick to this one way of seeing it. And then I'll like concede a little bit. And like, I'll, like the concession process, like literally at one point we mapped out how it goes. Okay, I've got to deny, deny, deny for this much time. And then I'm kind of, and then I switch goalposts and then, <laughs> and then eventually I concede um, like 75% uh, of it. But you're like, I just want you to see this whole thing. And then eventually I'll get there. But it's a very long process. And so if you can start, you know, like we've have the time, quartered the time of this over time, as I've been able to recognize sooner, this is a con game. You're trying to pass off that counterfeit money and he's not having it. Are you aware that you're doing that? Why? What got you to the state where that made sense? Because like, you know, and that's the thing too, is you've been a lot more patient with me over time because it's like, you know, I'm just doing the best I can mm. with what I've got. And, you know, to for this relationship to 
you know, be good or to last, uh, I've got to start improving my hand. I got to start improving what I've got to work with so that I don't put you through that because it's really rough. <laughs> and I think I think one thing that's important to kind of acknowledge too is that like what's the difference between what we're talking about? I mean, how do you know I'm not just gaslighting you? Like, because I can imagine <laughs> yeah. someone's listening to this and they're just kind of and I, one of the things for me is it's very important. Like I said before, like my thing is I'm listening to the words that you're saying. And if there's something that you're saying that doesn't make sense to me, uh, one of two things is true. Either it doesn't make sense to me because what you're saying actually doesn't make sense. Or it doesn't make sense to me because I don't understand what you're meaning. Mm -hmm. Or perhaps there's something, perhaps what you're saying does make sense, but I didn't hear 30% of it. Or perhaps 30% of it was kind of implied on your end and you felt it was so obvious that you didn't say it out loud. And in any event, right, everywhere along the way, I want to establish a shared reality. And I say, I'm constantly asking questions like, so for example, is that consistent with your experience? Like, like it seems like what you're doing is changing the subject so that we don't, you know what I mean? And and it's it's really getting you, my, my experience of it is getting you kind of more involved consciously. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I get the feeling, and in the past I would really get the feeling that you had turned over communication. You had this kind of like repertoire of unconscious blocks of retorts and, and, and things like that. And if I sensed that kind of you weren't there, I didn't say you're not talking right, and so I'm right, and that's the end of it. And in fact, that's you. I feel like it, at some points that was the thing that you wanted. You wanted uh, just to say, "Yeah, you're right." Uh, oh, I did that. so bad. I that, but that was the thing that you wouldn't let me do because I don't want to be somebody who just by force of personality. Yeah, I really want to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. What's happening with you? What's happening with me? What's happening between us? Is this an organic fight? Is this actually a problem? And like, if you're doing something that say I, I, I regard as like duplicitous, I, I would kind of preface this kind of qualification by saying that in order for this kind of conversation to happen, you have to have an environment of complete and utter safety in the relationship. Like, like, like you have to have never been blamed, right? Or you have to, it's been a long time since I've kind of come after you. And I don't know if I've ever actually blamed you harshly for anything, right? Um, and so you have to have this environment in which you know I'm not going to use it against you. Mm-hmm. Or let's say that you've got stuff from your past or whatever that maybe makes you think I'm going to, someone's going to use it against you, right? You certainly, I can't reinforce that at all. I can't give you any reason to believe the things that you believe about what's going to happen if you come forward, if you notice something that you're doing or whatever. And so this isn't necessarily something I think that everyone can just do right out of the right out of the gate. I mean, when we're describing this, one of the first things that we had to do was like, look, like th- there's complete and utter safety here. If if in fact I find out everything I think that you're doing, you know, you're actually doing in terms of uh, you know shady communication or, or whatever, if I suggest it to you and you acknowledge it, that it does not get held over your head. You know, and and if I suggest it, and I'm just wrong, and it's just not happening, and that has happened, you know, because you know, you 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 sort of, as you're as you're kind of figuring out how these things happen and how they come up, you know, there's certain warning signs, like you know, before your wife or girlfriend is angry at you, she's maybe a little bit detached from you, you know, that you know, but before there's a thunderstorm, like you know, you're getting struck by lightning, you sometimes see clouds on the horizon, <laughs> or you hear a rumble of, of you know, and it, it works kind of both ways, you know. You, but the, one of the things is that you can kind of start to get those false alarms, and like sometimes I would detect from you. 
things that looked like things that came before the last time we had a big fight or the last time you started doing something. And then I would respond to those. And then one of the things that you had to do, which I imagine was very difficult, was to say, oh, no, that's not what's happening. You know, and the interesting thing is when you're not kind of like stuck in one of those patterns, you do a really great job of being like, no, that's not what's happening. And you're not offended and you're not aggrieved and you're not defensive and you don't care. You think nothing of it. You're like, oh, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. Um, and I, but I think that like you have to have that environment, right? Where it's because if so many people have this dynamic where they're 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 taking they're getting one up on the other person and they're pocketing grievances and they're loading up their like rhetorical artillery, right? So if when the next when the next fight comes, you can you almost want them to start it because you've got so many grievances stored up that you just want to blast them. You know, and I think that in our relationship, there's a there's a level of determination to understand what the hell is happening, what's going on with the other person, what what's what's really happening. You know, because like because what I'm allowed just to be pissed off. I'm allowed just to be a jerk sometimes. You know, uh, and you know the fact that you allow me to get into those kind of pissy moods sometimes or whatever makes it much easier for me to. Just tell you when that's true versus, you know, if I'm thinking, well, is this going to be used to my disadvantage later? Mm-hmm. You know, and the fact that it's that you've made it easy for me to be candid with you when I'm just in a crap mood. I'm just being, I'm sorry, I'm just being a jerk today. I just haven't worked out and I'm just a, I'm just a pouty brat. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, true. I have the capacity to do that. I don't know about the other men that are listening to this, but I can be an absolute just fucking child. A whiny little brat. Like if there's certain things that I haven't gotten taken, I can get into a state where I act like I don't have any sense at all, and not in a cute way. Um, and the fact, though, that you've made it safe for me just to be like, "Yep, being a turd, totally, just being a turd, just straight up. There's nothing to diagnose. There's nothing to work on. Just being a turd. Excuse me, I'm going to go do something, and I'm going to feel better and be nicer <laughs> to you." That has made it much easier for me to be aware of the fact that I'm turding. You know, that, you know, because if 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 there was hell to pay. If I acknowledged it to you or let it slip to you or accidentally behaved in a way that was just undeniable, right, and I couldn't kind of deceive my way out of it, then I would have all of a sudden in this relationship, there would be an incentive structure for me to be so thoroughly unaware of the fact that I'm just acting like a jerk that I can put a really convincing case forward to you that that's not what's happening. Mm. But because that incentive structure is not there, we actually have kind of an awareness incentive structure where if one of the other of us says, I'm messing up, I'm just being a jerk, there's nothing going wrong, uh, or you know, there's nothing seriously wrong, I'm just kind of tired or whatever. Or if we're, this is the, the interesting thing, imagine a scenario where somebody was a con man and if they came forward and told the government, hey, I'm a con man, like, like Bernie Madoff, like if Bernie Madoff would have gone to the government and said, hey, I'm conning people out of like, you know, a hundred quadrillion dollars, <laughs> if the government would have then said, oh, hey, thanks for coming forward, Bernie, here's an extra hundred quadrillion for you. <laughs> like that's the that's the kind of thing we have in this relationship is like when, when the person comes forward and just acknowledges the thing, it is so much more important that you noticed what you were doing. That's so much because when I look into the future of the relationship and I'm kind of prognosticating about you know, what what what's gonna what's life gonna be like for me moving forward if we're together, the the fact that you one had the capacity to be aware of something that you were doing and two had that that you felt safe enough and you felt secure enough and confident enough and just like you 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 wanted to just let the other you know like kind of just low key nothing to it enough just to to share that awareness with me. That is so much more relevant than whatever the negative or the unresourceful thing you became aware of. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, you know, like you tell your kids, like, I just want you just to tell me if you mess up, just please tell me. You know what I'm saying? If you're in trouble, don't try to hide it or whatever because it just makes it worse. 
it's a lot like that, like in the relationship. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to actually kind of live that reality so that you can make it so that your, your brain is literally looking for opportunities to realize old programs that's running that aren't working. Mm-hmm. And one, you get a little hit of dopamine in yourself because you're like, oh, I saw myself doing something stupid. That's wonderful. <laughs> I saw it. That's the headline. The fact that I saw it, not the fact that I was doing it. And then you get that little hit of, of, of reward. And then you share it with your partner. You know, either you come and tell them or it's in conversation or whatever. And then they're kind of like, oh, man, great job. I can imagine that was probably not easy for you to do. Or, yeah, that's exactly what we want to have happen. That's what happiness. That's what improvement. That's what a better relationship. That's what clear communication. That's what a smoother road. That's what increased harmony is made of. It's not made out of not making mistakes. It's made out of noticing mistakes when you're making them, noticing what the mistakes are made out of, and then feeling safe and comfortable and enthused to share that with your partner. And when that's like the headline, oh man, you look forward to making a mistake so you can notice it and tell your partner about it. Yeah, and I think a big part of being able to do that and being able to, to even talk to you guys about this is just that um, that disidentification that because I can acknowledge that I'm doing it or I've done it, instead of an identity and who I am is duplicitous or uh, sneaky or you know whatever mm-hmm. kind of weird stuff I'm doing in my communication where I'm like saying one thing but I mean another or I'm implying or mind reading that like you should know that blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, is the ability, and I'm getting better at this all the time, it's still, you know, will because identities are sticky and like that you feel like they're you. And, that, and that's why it feels so unsafe to be called out for it because it, it feels like an attack on you as a person, like you, your character, like me, I'm not that way. I am not a bitch or it's like it's I'm doing but that's the thing is like you've got to shift it from a beingness to an activity to something that you're capable of doing I'm capable of jump roping I'm capable of doing a push I'm capable of doing all I'm capable of doing bitch I'm capable of doing sweetheart I'm capable of doing all of these different things and so that's why it's safe for me to say yes oh my Mm -hmm. gosh I was doing that that's not who I am mm-hmm. because I'm not identified with that that trait or that behavior or whatever that happened to be. Um, I was doing it, mm-hmm. you know. And when I can understand for my own self how I got myself into the state of doing something where that made sense for me to do, that's me learning. And you have to have that attitude of teachability, that attitude of like, I want to learn. You know, I want you to tell me when I'm doing weird stuff that I'm not aware of. And sometimes it's really hard to hear. And that's that kind of like, I guess, getting comfortable with hearing things, you know, and again, they're not always going to be true. And sometimes you've got, you know, a deeper explanation, but that's just going to help you guys get to know one another better. It's Mm -hmm. just going to help communication and life go smoother in the future. And so that teachable attitude, and let me tell you, I am not very teachable. I'm very stubborn. I'm very rebellious. I don't like to be told what to do. Um, and, and so it's hard for me just innately to accept certain things and to hear certain things. But this uh, softening on that and kind of getting more detached from certain identities has served me so, so much. And, uh, you know, there's still identities that are, are sticky to me that I, I'm like separating myself from. And that's, you know, that's true freedom, though. Like That's like that true transmutation. I'm, you know, I'm never just one thing. I'm always evolving. I'm always changing. You know, I'm not stuck in a rut. And so that's like you get stuck in these personality ruts, these behavior ruts, these ways of doing things. And the more 
you are you have like areas of your mind cordoned off because you don't want to really look there like you get like these hoarder basements these hoarder homes where there's like stuff like it's all covered up in sheets and you can't walk around you don't have freedom Mm -hmm. you don't have freedom because you're so attached you've got so much you know unseen baggage that you don't even want to look into and and i mean it is harming you just by it being there because you don't have clarity of thought yeah, you know, one of the things for me is kind of speaking about what you were talking about at the, at the beginning. Like, if 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 who I think I really am is the worst thing I'm capable of doing, I'm fucked. I mean, just to be <laughs> frank with you, like, I what chance do I have of ever enlisting from myself consistently high quality behaviors? If at my root I look to the worst thing I've done or the worst mood I'm capable of being in or like the worst version of myself. And I anchor myself to that, and then I swim away from it. And I try to swim to the surface. Let's say you're like you're you know at the bottom of the ocean, and you're kind of you want to swim to the top of the ocean. So the bottom of the ocean maybe is like you at your worst, and the top where you can get your head above water and you can breathe and you can swim and look around and decide where you want to go. I mean, it's kind of hard to know where you want to go when you're uh, you know way down there with those like scary fish that have lamps that grow off their head and you know these like <laughs> snaggle teeth and stuff like that. You're way down there. A lot of people, I feel like they feel like they're not going anywhere in their life. It's because you look around and it all looks the same. It's all kind of black. I mean, you don't know where where anything is. And the only thing that you can see is scary as shit because it looks like a monster because things that live at the bottom of the ocean are terrifying. Um, and every time you try to swim to the top of the ocean, uh, you, you're anchored. You've got, I don't know, a chain that that is, what, 50 feet long or whatever, but it's got you anchored to the worst version of yourself, the the, 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 the version of you that you feel, you feel the worst about. At some point or another, you have to untether yourself from that. And like you have to recognize that your capacity to be bad doesn't mean that you're bad. Your capacity to be unkind or to be impatient or to be you know, duplicitous or, or, or to be dishonest or to be insecure or to feel inadequate, that, like, that's not who you are. Like you're not the the worst thing that you've felt and you're not the worst thing that you've, you've done. You're, you're, you are your capacity to observe the different things that you have the capacity to do and be. That's the real reality, right, of who you are. And what you want to do is you want to identify with that because when you realize that you really aren't anything that you are, your ability to, you, what you really are is your ability to notice what you're being and doing in a given moment in time. Recognize that that's not what you want to keep doing and keep being and decide that you want to be something else and then set to work figuring out how to do that. Once you're more identified with that recognition capacity, this is this big thing with awareness is that when people start becoming aware of it, in the beginning, I pitch people on awareness. I say, buy this course or I spend time doing this exercise or pay me money to talk to you about this so I can help guide you through this process or whatever. And they do it. And you know the funny thing about it is my whole sales pitch, why do you want to develop awareness? Why not do something else instead? Well, because it's impossible to do things that don't serve you and do them with awareness. That's the whole advantage of awareness is that when you're aware of what you're doing, you tend to do what serves you, right? And when you're not aware of what you're doing, uh, it's very easy for you to do things that don't serve you and for you to not even realize that that's what you're doing and then to get results that you don't want without realizing that there's a connection between what you're doing and the results that you're getting, right? So you want to develop this awareness. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like you want to buy some OxyClean, right? Like if if your objective in life was to never get a stain anywhere, why did you buy the OxyClean? Or if you thought that it was realistic that you were never going to get a stain anywhere, or detergent or something like that, why would you even buy it? You know, you, you become aware. So I assume if you want to expand your awareness, you think there's a possibility that there's some things that you're doing that aren't serving you, right? So you buy this product or you develop this skill 
so that you could find out about the things that you're not do that you're doing that aren't working or the things that would work if you did them right that you're not doing um, so that you can discover those things and then when you use that awareness to discover those things you say oh god i feel so bad about this and all this different stuff i say no th- this is the good uh, this is a good thing you know you got this flashlight so that you could see what was going on in this dirty room so that you could then clean it up if you want to but people get really distracted by that and i think people get very distracted by They'll notice themselves being some way they don't want to be. But what they don't notice is the fact that they've got the capacity to notice the way that they're being. They have the capacity to say, holy shit, I don't want to be this way. Oh my God, I don't want to interact this way. I don't want to have just said this to my significant other. And they'll see the thing that they said, but they don't see the fact that they're seeing it. And they don't see the fact that that seeing inspires them to want to do something different. And what I'm saying is, go ahead and see the thing that you said, that's useful. But what I want you to know about what you're doing, but I want you to really feel, right, the, the fact that you have the capacity to see and assess these things and decide you want something more and something better. That's personal freedom. And that's that ability to kind of dissociate from it. And I think that there's, there's, two, there's two things that really just kind of, that, you know, there's all, we help people with this. This is a kind of an intensive process. There's a lot to this, right? There's a lot of different things that you can do depending on what's going on in your life. But at a very high level, if you're listening to this podcast and you're never going to have contact with us, aside from just what you hear in these podcasts, I would say there's two things that you need to do, If you, particularly in the context of a relationship. If this is challenging for you, acknowledging your stuff because one of your protective mechanisms is, is blaming your partner or, or, or not even blaming them, but feeling at a deep level that they're basically what your problem is or that they're basically the problem in the relationship, two ways to get away from that. One, you must make yourself feel safe, which is to say you need to get to a place where you're okay with the fact that sometimes you do things that don't work, that are mean, that are nasty, that are stupid, that are vindictive, that don't make any sense, that don't serve you, that hurt you, that hurt other people around you. Need to be okay. You need to give yourself permission to, to have the capacity to do things that don't serve you. It needs to be okay so that when, when and if you discover. So one, if you're doing it, you can discover it. And then two, if you discover it, you, you, it, it's not shocking or earth shattering. You don't have to spin some kind of like report like, you know, the chemical companies like poisoning everyone and then it's got to put a spin on it. You know what I'm saying? It gets caught. You don't want to have to do that. We just want to say, listen, people have a capacity to do things that are more or less useful. You're a people. Okay, sorry. You've got the capacity to fuck things up. You've got the capacity to be bad. You've got the capacity to do things that you're ashamed of. That's just part of life. You got it. I got it. Melissa has it. Every, everyone has it, right? But your best bet is not to pretend like that's not true. Your best bet is just to acknowledge that in the front end and then keep the fact that that capacity is there in mind and also the fact that the fact that you're able to do those things doesn't mean that that's who you are, that it's not fair to assess yourself on the basis of the worst thing you're capable of doing. Not a good idea, not useful, not going to produce a better version of you. So one, you make it really safe. And then two, you need to get greedy. You need to get greedy. You need to realize that you are depriving yourself of a quality of life that you could have easily because you're not giving yourself permission to be exactly as fucked up as you happen to be at a given moment in time whether it's a lot or a little or a medium amount or whether it's an ongoing thing or one big thing or whatever, you are missing out on good feelings you could be having. Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that piss you off? That Because you, I mean, it's not fair. You were born in a particular household at a particular time and you had particular life experiences and all of that. And because of that, you're destined to spend the rest of your life being less happy than you could be. Doesn't that irritate you? That needs to irritate you and offend you to the point that you're just not willing to accept it. And then you need to say, listen, I don't care what I have to find out about myself. I don't care what I have to say to other people or what other people have to know that I know about me and the things I've done in the past. 
I want to be happy and I want to get smarter and I want to figure out how to enjoy the experience of existing more. And when you get there, I personally have found that very useful because I have very little difficulty acknowledging to Melissa when I've made it. Like, like it, sometimes I don't have the realization. And sometimes you've got to point it out to me. Sometimes it takes a while or whatever. But as soon as the realization kicks in, I'm very comfortable telling you about it. And it's not because I'm a great guy. And it's not because I've practiced humility. And it's not because of any crap like that. It's because I'm selfish and I want to be happier and I want to have a better relationship with you. And as soon as I recognize an opportunity for that, I'm, I'm, I'm so salivating at an existential level that it never occurs to me to care about the fact that the opportunity to, to improve exists within me and not within you or in something in our environment. I don't care. The problem is in me. The first thing I think is, hey, I know where the problem is. You know what I'm saying? It's over here. And, and that, for me, one of the, it's a huge thing, this just incessant desire to enjoy my life more and to not miss out unnecessarily on potential enjoyments makes it so that I don't have to be in a great magnanimous mood towards you. I don't have to feel like living up to my commitments in the relationship or being a good guy. My purpose is to evolve and sometimes that's great. Other times though, I just want to feel better. I, you know, like, like, like sometimes you want to listen to personal growth, sometimes you don't, but you never don't want to get a splinter out of your thumb or your big toe <laughs> that's hurting you and driving you crazy. doesn't matter if you're tired. doesn't matter if you're depressed. doesn't matter if you're exhausted. doesn't matter if you're angry at your spouse. If there's a nail going through your foot, you want to get that fucker out of there as fast as you possibly can. When you have that kind of an attitude towards anything that compromises the quality of your experience, I think then you're personally free. Then you have that level of personal freedom. Right, so that you, what it makes sense for you to do, and what you are inclined to do, and what your intuition tells you to do, is what's going to improve what it's like to be you. And you don't have to counterbalance and say, "Well, I'd love to, I'd love to change things, but then I'd have to admit I was always wrong, and I can't do that because then she's gonna blah 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 blah." Do you have time for that? You're gonna be dead soon. I'm gonna be dead soon. Melissa's gonna be dead soon. We're all gonna be dead really soon. You know what I mean? And I don't always think like that, but when I'm wasting time, I think like that. And it can, tends to get me to stop wasting time. Do I really have time to worry about the way that my dad or grandparents or mother or whoever taught me to feel when I think I might be wrong? Do I have time to sit around and go through that kind of rote experience? Or do I just want to get on to improving what it's like to be me and pushing the limits of the quality of experiences that I'm capable of having? I, when you realize how little time you have, you realize how many things you don't have time for, right? And most of the stupid shit that's ruining our relationships and our lives, I just don't have time for it. And when you really don't have time for these things, it's very interesting and, and, and rather surprising how quickly it starts to fall away. Uh, yeah. So we're kind of fired up about this stuff, <laughs> you know, and, and, and helping you figure it out. Because, you know, when you do get to that point where you're like, oh, I'm just hungry for it. I am going to die and I want to live this life. I'm meant to do stuff. I'm meant to have fun. I'm meant to be having a lot more fun than I'm currently having. And I think that's true about everyone that we're, you know, you're capable of doing more of what you love, getting more of the results that you want, you know, and, and a lot of it has to do with doing this inner work and organizing your experience and figuring out where the shit is coming from so that you can change it and do something different and have a lot more fun. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys again on Monday and reach out if you need anything at all. See ya.